Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hello, folks. Well, I'm glad to have had a chance to finally introduce you to Jim Mann. Jim's been a friend of mine for several years and a really a true English gentleman is the way I would categorize Jim. And in a world of sort of half-truths and exaggeration that we get with the Amazon space, and then particularly it has to be said with people who are talking about buying and selling Amazon businesses, that's very reassuring to me. I think that matters. So Jim's Good, good kind of guy to, to guide us through it. Obviously, he got a very big background in Amazon selling, being a personal friend through that network of people in the UK, and uh, also obviously now learning a lot from Thrasio. As obviously talks about why selling, very personal decision. I think it strikes me that it's not quite like being a parent, but I guess it's a bit more like being a coach or a teacher or somebody that is helping somebody in part of their stage of development. And at some point, if you really care about a person, I guess you hand them over to somebody else who can serve the, the next stage of their journey if you don't feel able to do that. I've done that with you know certain musical instrument teaching, for example. That might be true for sports coach. And I guess maybe in a similar way, it could be true for a, a business owner who sense that their business could go a long, long way, but they don't have the time, the expertise, or frankly, the money to, to do that. So selling now is a pretty great decision in many ways if you're going to sell at all because the multiples are going crazy. So Amazon's taken the lion's share of the uptick in online selling. Prices have gone up. Multiples are very, very high. And aggregators may actually find <laughs> that doesn't work so well in the future. So Amazon isn't getting any easier. The tax and political landscape is getting much, much harder. I was speaking to a client this morning who's just starting out, but I was talking about expanding. She's importing into the UK from India. And she's talking about expanding to Europe and Germany. And you know, even a year ago, I'm talking in April 2021 now, that would have been a pretty straightforward move, although there would have been a sort of Damocles hanging over it. But now it's just really complicated because the political landscape has changed. And the same would have been true if you'd been talking about importing from China to the USA prior to whatever, 2017, 2018, when that landscape changed as well. So it's not getting easier. And that's one reason why if you've got an established business, it kind of adds to the value of it because the people coming after you are going to find it harder. So that could be a reason to consider leaving as well. Other points that really struck me, get a CFO and most people don't have a handle on cash flow. So I, I really think that that's a really excellent advice. Get a, if not a full-time chief financial officer or financial director FD, as we would call it in the UK, at least get a fractional CFO. In other words, somebody who can come in and work on your business maybe once a week, maybe even once a month, but get a handle on the numbers. Uh, I can't stress how important I've seen that to be for operating businesses, but Jim's there to tell you that it's so important if you want to sell your business as well. Valuations, interesting. I mean, we, we talked about that, the renormalizing thing, surprising so pricing in this sort of COVID bump that's happened for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, the, generally speaking, value in the business is an interesting one. <laughs> Timing has obviously had a big effect on things, but 
overall it, it's one of those things where again i guess if you've got a good handle on the finances you're going to have more of a handle on the actual value of your business rather than some kind of feeling in your heart but because you put blood sweat and tears into it that it's worth more than it possibly is i guess anyway so that's uh, my sort of few takeaways from today next time we're going to talk about more of the selling landscape and who to sell to what an aggregator is and what the difference between them and other types of people like brokers we're talking about the perception in the marketplace that aggregators are going to offer only a, a terrible multiple that may have been true a couple of years ago i think that's shifting now what to look out for with aggregators as well and so those are the upcoming things in the next show please listen out for that if nothing else jim has been around the block as a seller and now from the buying side so very worth listening to and learning from what i always say to my clients is what i'm going to say to you now which is always at least talk to experts you don't have to sign any paper you don't have to agree anything but you if a lawyer will talk to you for free if an accountant will talk to you for free and if an aggregator or other form of business buyer or broker will talk to you for free I would definitely have those conversations because those are people whose opinions are valuable. They're highly educated. They're normally expensive. You have to actually buy their time. And it's going to inform you a huge amount about your business, even if you never sell your business in your life. So I would think brokers and aggregators are right up there for me, for people you really, really should be talking to. You don't have to sign your life away. You don't have to agree anything. But those conversations are really going to educate you. I hope that today's episode has been part of your education. If you found it useful, I'd really love it. Of course, if you could just give some love back by going to, I guess this idea works on Apple Podcasts and giving us a rating one to five stars. And if you can write a review, that's even better, of course. But either which way, don't forget to subscribe on your podcast player of choice. And I will keep trying to produce this work that uh, will help you be, uh, you know, a six, seven or eight figure seller that is growing either to scale to a wonderful eight figure lifestyle or to have a seven figure exit. Thanks very much for listening. Speak to you in the next show. By the way, I, I love the analogy with the state agency because, again, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it, that the mental models we use unconsciously are, are really worth bringing to the fore and examining, even mm. as a metaphor, even if it's a crude metaphor. The metaphor for Amazon is not replacing the day job, it's property investment. And again, you've got a, an asset worth a certain amount. There's a there's a market for it that's somewhat liquid, I guess less liquid for Amazon businesses, but right now fairly liquid. As you said, there's a lot of buying and selling, in other words. Mm. And just like an estate agent, by the way, a million quid for those of you listening in North America means a million pounds or about what, 1.23 million bucks at the moment. 1.4. Um, it's frightening. Oh, yeah. Or we, yeah, you're right. It's just getting crazy again. Yeah. And, and as you say, it's that allure of the big number and the promise and, and particularly the credibility and the sort of style and the superficial elements of of you know the nice suit that the Foxes guys turn up in. The Foxes is a very high-end real estate or estate agency here. Yeah, it all has its influence. And I think um, what's different there, what I want to flag out that's really different between the two that we need to explore is this question of deal structure. Because you sell a house, somebody, you know, gives you the money, either it's cash plus a mortgage, or if you're really lucky, a cash buyer, although cash buyers for million pound properties or 1.4 million bucks, whatever, going to be less common than, than uh, with mortgage. But basically, it's a lot of hassle with the lawyers for two or three months, maybe four or five if you're unlucky, and then it's done and you got the money and you walk away. Now, obviously, as you're implying, there are various different structures around. So this earnout idea and the, the roll-up model, the things we ought to just dig into a bit. So first of all, tell me a bit about the, the deal structure, sort of basics that are on offer and, and what the things are that, that are sort of pros and cons from the seller's perspective. Yeah, you know, you, you can negotiate different things, but generally if you try, if you negotiate... 100% cash up front, 
you are taking the risk out of the deal, but you're also going to end up getting a lower uh, offer than you will if the if the role if the earnout is successful. You know what I will say to everyone is that it's you know it's not quite that way. But for every dollar you take up front away from the earnout, you're probably sacrificing two dollars on the tail of the earnout. But the earnout has no no guarantee, which is why it's really important that if you're selling to anyone who has an earnout built into their deal structure, that you really really do your diligence on their credibility on earnouts. And you know you can join the dots, but there are a lot of people copying the business model at the moment with a very similar narrative. And the reality is there aren't many people out there who've got a track record like Thrasio. So earnouts are great if you're in the hands of the right team. And if you're not, if you're selling to someone who doesn't have a track record, you want to get your money up front. But the chances are, if you get your money up front, you're probably going to sacrifice a total exit number because the earnout is a risk reward model. You risk a little bit on the tail and sort of, you know, three or four X frequently becomes six, seven, eight, 10 X because they can be uncapped, wow. you know, and, okay. I, and I think there's a perception in the marketplace that aggregators and it's to an extent, it was true a year or two ago. We're paying two X up front. Multiples have gone way north of that. And then when you throw in a good earnout, you know, for us, it's six is typical. Five, if we hit five is not great. 10 is not unheard of you know, over the two-year period. Interesting. So I think the, just to reflect on that, first of all, a couple of things, I guess what you're saying is you can't have your cake and eat it. So if you want to lower the risk, you lower the reward. And that makes sense. And the second thing is you really got to know, do your due diligence on, if you're doing an earnout, you're kind of um, really dependent for your wealth <laughs> on the ability of the aggregator or indeed the buyer to actually manage your account well. And as you pointed out, and I think, I don't want to gloss over this because I think it's critical. We all know how much of a sweat it is to manage one Amazon account. Or I've got mm. a couple of clients. One client's got five Amazon brands, which is kind of a bit mental. He seems mm. to be managing it okay. He's got a business partner over in the Far East, which kind of helps. But even so, if you ma- multiply that by you know, 20, 30, suddenly, as you say, that that's not incorrect basic concept by the original 101 e-commerce or, or whatever it is, one of those commerce guys, mm. is not in- incorrect in theory. But as you say, the practical problem of that is is huge. And none of us should ignore our Amazon seller, Amazon account management experience. And what our intuition would tell us is like, this mm. stuff's hard. And Amazon, by the way, is massively irrational and ir- ir- inconsistent in its response to pretty much everything, as we all know, right? So we shouldn't mm. just park that knowledge. So I, I think there's an important one to harp on there for a sec. Tell me a bit more about this perception in the marketplace. You're not wrong is, is I mean, if you speak to brokers, they will sort of mutter darkly about aggregators offering you 2.5x in a bag of chips for your for your hard-earned brand mm. um you're saying that's really shifted over the last couple of years i mean tell me a bit more about that because that is an important thing to nail yeah I, I mean it's like i said at the top of the call that you know the the market's moved partly driven because you know t- let's rewind five years ago even raising money to borrow to uh, to, to feed to get cash flow le- finance to feed growth on Amazon was now an impossible. And then Amazon lending came along. Banks could, couldn't get their heads around econ for Amazon. Amazon lending started lending. And then you have Payoneer and, you know, some of the shipping companies. And suddenly there was some expert and, the, you know, there's a lot of niche finances around. You fast forward now, you know, our, our latest round of funding is Goldman Sachs. You know, it's institutional money coming into the Amazon ecosystem now. And so what that the perceived platform there's always going to be platform risk but the perceived platform risk is going down over time 
as more time passes, there's more data to show that the platform risk is, is less. And also, if you think about the opportunities for, for investment, retail's dying. You know, there aren't that many places anymore. I mean, e-commerce is arguably the future. And the current big behemoth in, the, in, in, in e-commerce is Amazon. So because of those key drivers, people are willing now to pay more than they would have done two years ago or a year ago. So that's driven multiples up. And then you've got the comp competition factor. So you've got more aggregators. You've got more people wanting to get into this space. So a natural, natural consequence of that is people are willing to pay more. Totally makes sense to me. Yeah. So just to recap, then, basically, there's more money uh, coming in now. And I guess like it's all relative, isn't it? I mean, Amazon businesses do have suspension risk still, but there's a risk mm -hmm. of your high street shop, which looks all safe in 2019 getting shut down and never reopening because by the time you reopened you've had to pay a ton of money to staff who haven't done a day's work not because they're lazy but because they're not physically or legally allowed to enter the shop so yeah relative to that situation i guess e-commerce looks lower risk and what again to your point of the, the fact that this is a a wave I, I didn't use the word bubble although i was tempted what happens next when when institutional investors start looking around and going mm, yeah but the high street is kind of coming back to life and there is still amazon suspension risk i guess that could swing again right so it's interesting that there are sweet spots and i guess again without sort of putting people under undue pressure or trying to sort of induce irresponsible behavior I, I do think it's important to recognize that there is a wave here and the best time to sell is at the top of the wave rather than watch it go past and then get excited in retrospect and by the way i'm very capable of that i managed to buy property in 2007 which is kind of like the one of the worst times to buy property because i guess you know partly because i had the money then and partly i'd been swept up in the fever like everyone else so i guess if you're going to get swept up the time is now rather than in 12 months time depending yeah. when you're listening to this and uh, so yeah funnily enough we're supposed to be normally we have a two-month delay between re recording and publishing at the moment not because we try to but because we have so much quality interviews in the in the can now which is good but one of the things that's striking me i'm like hmm, even by may 2021 this will have changed so we might try to get that out earlier funny how how these waves go and and how we should handle them so just i guess a, a couple of things to sort of wrap this episode up the first thing is you've already alluded to some of this stuff but what stuff should you look out for as the seller amongst aggregators in particular since they're such a big part of the market at the moment it's a, it, there's a there are a lot of people in the space and i think there are different categories of aggregator that are emerging you've got the guys that are driven they've come from venture from, from vc and they are emulating a business model and are learning effectively about how to operate the amazon ecosystem I would say they're probably in the higher risk bucket because as anyone who operates on Amazon knows, it's not automated. It's, it's a war. <laughs> and, uh, and if you're not, if you haven't got, you know, sort of SAS level operational capability, if you acquire, acquire a brand, you're going to struggle. So I think the aggregators that have got the best chance of success are the ones with operational rigor. And there are some that have that. There are some that are hiring Amazon employees. I think anyone who's operated Amazon probably knows Amazon's often the last place to find out what really goes on on their platform. So again, the common sense for hiring Amazon employees is fantastic, but the reality is I'm not quite sure. So our, our, our bet is that there will be some aggregators misfiring in about 12 to 18 months because there's been a huge amount of capital coming to the market. 
there's been some really hot, we're seeing really hot offers flying by the whole time that we're passing on and we're just like wow and the logical consequence of that is that if they're paying very high and there's limited operational capability that's you know the the, the natural you know the, the consequence of that is obvious and but it'll take time to manifest itself and then when that passes then that's when we could come down to what's going to be happening in a year and a half's time probably i'd imagine that prices will stabilize a little bit uh, honestly some of the offers i'm seeing now are, are just mental there's there's no rigor to what's being offered and it's i think it's just driven by the need to deploy capital rather than the need to make sane decisions so to answer your question very directly that's very enticing for a seller because the upfront looks fantastic but do your diligence on the tail because my what i think i'm seeing is that the ones that are desperate to buy and doing these offers are the ones that are probably have the highest risk when it comes to delivering an earnout and if you're objective when you sell your business whether it's now or in two years time when you finish your own out is to have X amount in the bank. The team that are going to put X amount in the bank are the guys that are the, are the best operators. Yeah, it's a really great warning. And, and also I think use the word objective. And I think that's a very, very good word because weirdly enough, and I think this is like a, such an entrepreneurial sort of dual mentality we have to have. It's really hard, but really absolutely necessary is this. You've got to, on the one hand, a, a lot of passion and emotion involved and because you've got the passion to create something while in the war zone effectively as you say and that is not wrong with the way it feels anyone who's sold on amazon for more than a year will, will absolutely know what that feels like and we we both know that feeling and so do our friends and masterminds and so forth and yet when you sell it you're still going to be emotional and you have to be real about that you have to rationally manage the irrational if you like the fact that your emotions are involved and you have to recognize that and on the other hand and this is the tricky bit at the same time I think you have to have a knowledge that it's objective. It's a maths equation, a real complex one, but it is a maths equation. If your aggregator is offering you something which for them is clearly unsustainable, mm. it's unsustainable period, right? And the fact that you look like you should be getting money from that and they're overpaying, if the deal structure is upfront 100% cash, as you say, I would take the money and run. <laughs> but otherwise, if it is an earnout, which is where the bigger multiple is actually really going to come, mm. you, you're, you're so obviously right that if something is unsustainable, it will not be sustained. And that's just two words that people don't put together. The word unsustainable is used about environmental things. Mm. It should also be used about financial things. But people don't take the adjective and turn it into a noun and it's the verb rather okay if it's not sustainable it will not be sustained therefore do not make this deal <laughs> you know and i think this could be true for supplier deals as well like if it looks to be good to be true it probably is and i think it's it's just good old school you know skepticism and due diligence like we would do with a supplier that's selling us stuff weirdly i guess when we're selling something to other people i the business we built it feels like very much the flip side of the same process like really doing your due diligence on the financials on the stability on the competence on the detail of the financial structures and and really i guess weirdly enough that brings me back almost to a feeling of comfort zone as, as an amazon seller because that's familiar mm. right we all have to do due diligence on our suppliers and be meticulous in the quality control and i guess we need to kind of develop a qc process for aggregators and buyers really i mean i guess that kind of brings us to a point where if we had a neat little 10 point list checklist of how to check out your aggregators we could sell that to people we've got the next best thing which is yeah i know you've got a, a series of podcasts hosted by your head of marketing 
and there are lots of interesting things there and including what to expect in 2021 how to scale and grow your brand so we've got a link to that amazingfba.com forward slash thrasio just tell us a quick bit about about what's on offer there yeah so you know we're, we're keen to be an open book as much as possible and you know we've got an amazing team a lot of you will know casey gauss and the senior leadership team i i look around who we've got in the organization and there's just unbelievable talent and you know we need that to operate and keep winning like we are but equally we're confident in that we can give as much as we can because it's the combination of those people that make the force not any one of them so to have one of them you know sharing knowledge in a particular area which adds value engages people the thrasio brand and hopefully if they're successful they come to us and sell great so there's a series of podcasts being hosted and they're genuinely about giving valuable content to help sellers grow their businesses. Genuinely hosted by Brandon and John, who are the SVPs for creative and marketing. So those guys are driving, they're accountable basically for all the traffic and every listing on 15,000 SKUs that we manage. So they know a thing or two about Amazon, they're worth listening to. 15,000 SKUs is <laughs> a crazy number, even by the yeah, standards totally. of modern Amazon. And so, yeah, they, they are definitely going to be worth listening to. That's that's extremely... The other thing, of course... Michael, one, one last thing, by the way, on, on please, sort of, please, um, please. With, with aggregators, and I think this is really useful. I hope it's useful anyway. Mm. What we're seeing a lot is people being offered, like they've got called term sheets or LOIs, letters of intent. They're being fired off at the moment very quickly. And it appears that there's very little diligence being done on behalf of the acquirer and it's and the strat the tactic it's not a strategy it's a tactic is once you sign an offer an loi you're off the market effectively and so what's happening is that you're getting very inflated offers that inevitably during diligence they have the option to walk away now that is really really depressing and potentially quite abusive for the seller because once you've signed that you feel you've got a commitment from someone to buy your business at that number. And when people are firing off these LOIs within two days of talking to you, they can't have done proper diligence on your business. So one thing, if you are talking to people, aggregators, us or anyone else, watch how long it takes them on the questions they're asking before they fire off an offer. And if they, offer you, if they send you an amazing offer and they haven't asked many questions, that is a huge red flag because the chances of the deal completing at that price are very small, number one. And if they do complete at that price, when they haven't really done any diligence before putting that number on the on the board, it also may be a symptom of them not really knowing how to operate brands. And so the whole valuation process is out of kilter. That's really worth knowing. And I think that, again, it comes back to the, it, it, if it looks too good to be true, it probably is, but also like yeah. the maths equation doesn't balance. And and what you said, by the way, I think it's into the dynamic that we have to understand. I mean, the best, one of the most important parts of negotiation is understand the other person's point of view. It doesn't mean you have to sympathize, but you need to at least understand. Mm. And it, it feels to me a bit like, weirdly enough, at the high, hyper-capitalistic end where you venture capital or, or institutional capital is um, being advanced to people like Thrasio or anybody else. The fact that you have to spend it or lose it really reminds me of a government department, <laughs> which is obviously, is. yeah, weirdly the same dynamic, which means to a lot of strange activity happens, which is not, strictly speaking, commercially driven, even though in theory this is like hyper-capitalism. It's kind of not really commercially driven decisions. In other words, am I going to get a return on capital? How, what's the risk reward ratio? Am I going to get my capital back plus a, a thing? How much am I risking of the capital for, for a given level of reward? All those sort of 
commercial type yeah. questions is being driven by if i don't spend this i'm going to get fired and then we're going to lose our funding and the business collapses yeah i mean some amazing stuff that's been going on we we had a few months ago a new aggregator come to us with fine five term sheets signed they had gone and sold themselves in as an aggregator and signed five term sheets with not a penny in the bank and they came to us and said and they thought that and this is not uncommon in vc you sign the term sheet and then you wave it around in the markets and raise the money and they thought they would try and get away with that. Another recent one, we noticed one of the, I can't name names, but just, you know, someone who's quite active in the market, suddenly bidding like, off crazy numbers. And we're like, this is really odd behavior. It then turns out that there was a plan, again, a tactic to then take, look how many term sheets we're signing to the markets. Now can we raise five times as much as we raised last time? So there are all these dynamics at play that are driving bizarre behaviors in the market and unfortunately the unwitting victims in in this battle are the sellers most sellers it's the first time they've gone to an MA situation they don't know what they don't know and i mean there's other stories where uh, someone thought they were signing an nda and when they looked at it more closely it was actually a heads of terms and that was going to be used to raise money to buy that business and they thought they were just signing an nda so you know there's you you have to have you're you a little bit at the moment because there's all sorts going on you know it's, Did, gold, it's the gold rush and unfortunately yeah. when there's money to be made you know all sorts of stuff comes through i've just got to ask you that nerdy question then what's a heads of terms oh effect, yeah just effectively it's similar to a, an loi you know it's an intent to uh, we, if you, you're signing this to agree that based on these like, high level terms, you will sell our business. Okay. So kind uh, of an agreement to sell in broad terms kind of it's thing. A spirit, it's basically the spirit of what the contract will look like. It's a heads okay. of terms. Um, a bit and, like a memorandum of understanding. The same I mean like that. Is it? Yeah, it's not, yeah, dissimilar. Okay. not dissimilar. But yeah. again, that in the hands of someone can then go to the capital markets and they will try and raise money on the back of that, that they wouldn't otherwise be able to so, you know, if you're a seller, you come back to like, you know, an entrepreneur who's now trying to sell their business and you think, you think you've just signed an NDA or you think you're talking to someone who's really credible because they've given you a fantastic pitch, mm. you know, just scratch behind the surface around how, how much, whether their funding is actually cash or whether it's debt, you know, because when people say, oh, we've raised 50 million, 100 million, 200 million, you scratch, we've raised can mean many different things. It might be that in theory they can go and spend fifty million, but every time they sign a term sheet, they have to go and get it approved by the fund. You know, it's not actually it's not liquid cash they can go and can release. Hmm. So, wow! So yeah. this is getting into kind of slightly mind blowing waters, but I mean, I, I guess that you know, one of the reasons that people should you know follow things like the selling point is just to you know, to get into some of this detail. And I think I, I love the detail of this stuff, but I'm rather than trying to turn people into M&A advisors overnight or a- experts, rather, you raise many points. And I guess that the, the moral of the story is that you need to do your your homework on the the, the buyer, yeah. make sure they've got the money to, I guess, let's put it in simple terms, debt versus equity since you mentioned it we better nail this one down and then better let you go and, and let the people of facebook go and sit in a darkened room with a with a damp towel of their head to recover from their brains working hard but tell me a bit about the, what's what's the critical difference of the debt equity question here it's very Why simple I, I i would just ask whoever you're talking to their funding structure and how much cash they actually have available to deploy cash available to deploy because you know the the press releases are all sound very grand 
you know, you see all the press releases around, you know, 10, 50, 100, 500 million. The way in which that debt is structured or, or is what really drives their ability to deploy capital. So, and equally, it affects how they're going to invest in your brand. You know, it's one thing buying your brand. It's another having twice as much money to then really accelerate the growth because it's an inventory-driven business, which requires, if you're going to 10x a business, you need a lot of cash available, people aside. Yeah, so I suppose well, that brings me back to the sort of comfort zone, which is it's a cash-driven business. How much yeah. cash do they have? I guess the similar reason why you might sell is because you don't have enough cash to 10x the brand, but you totally know that it could, or you believe. I guess that blend of passion and objective, right? It's, it's that, mm. that entrepreneurial belief, <laughs> which may or may not tend to be substantiated. Mm. This could go somewhere. This has got legs. The trend is up. People are loving it. All the signs are there. And guess what? We're going to need $10 million to, to grow this thing over the next three years, never mind the mm. next 10. And mm. and I guess the same is true for an aggregator. If they don't have cash, cash, just like if you don't have cash, cash, as opposed to sort of promises and, and hopes and dreams and uh, whatever letters of intent from funding bodies or, or potential investors or whatever, but not actually in the bank, then as you say, it's not actually going to be there to grow the business in real life. So that's a good sobering, but hopefully for most people, myself included, sort of relatable <laughs> word do they have the cash to grow your business do they have the cash to pay you for your business indeed so yeah. some good warning signs but also i just think in the end a very fascinating time and for anyone who's enjoyed as you clearly have and as i do as well that thing of learning new skill sets i think educating yourself as an amazon operator to now think of your business as an asset and then to educate yourself about the ecosystem within which that lives. In other words, the people who are raising money, who's behind it, and to just learn your trade as as a sort of M&A participant, shall we say, of not expert. Mm. I think it's if you embrace it the right way, uh, a great learning opportunity and, and a fascinating game to be part of. And in the end, I guess that's one of the reasons for me that we ended up in this business, right? So... Mm. Very interesting stuff, Jim. Is ever like, you know, one of the reasons that I'm delighted that you're working for Thrasios. We've known each other for years. You're like the quintessential British gentleman, as far as I'm concerned, and yet Thank working you. for this giant American sort of outfit. So I think that's a great combo because that, that can do attitude, the amount of capital that is available in the US system, particularly mm. for the right things, is incredible. And you're the kind of bridge for, for the UK, but not only for the UK, of course, but you're the bridge for people who want to, you know, benefit from that feeling and frenzy that as you said right now is happening mm. so if people want to get in touch with you presumably they could sort of email you as well if they, if they know already that they're interested in having a discussion about a potential sale so what's the best way to get hold of you for that jim.man with two n's at thrast.io or just through our website thrast.io t-h-r-s i can't say it properly t-h-r-a-s.io thrast.io or jim.man at thrust.io great yeah and, and obviously you have huge amounts of knowledge and that sort of you know common sense and sort of wariness of the red flags which you know still keeps it polite which is what we want very british yeah look, you know we like i said we, we pass on a lot of the businesses we look at but one thing that i think is fair to say is that we'll always find if we pass on a business we'll always say here's what we're passing and here's what you can do and we, it becomes like a consultative process where we send, you know, that we say, look, I'm really sorry, we're not going to do a deal, but here's some stuff that would really make a big difference in your business. And that's really valuable for everyone. Absolutely. I always say to pretty much everybody, I know he's got a substantial business and is even slightly thinking of selling. 
please go and talk to some brokers and aggregators. Please don't sign anything <laughs> before you've talked to some people and thought it through. Mm. But equally, the education you get from that is immense. And as I said, I think that is now part of the skill set we need to add to operations, dealing with the basics of, of the M&A scene out there mm. and, and, and getting our head around it. If nothing else, it's just going to make you a better business person. And I'm just sort of close on the quote that always comes to mind here, which is Warren Buffett said that the better businessman I become, the better investor I become, the better investor I become, better business person I am. So I think mm. that's really got to be true for Amazon sellers in my experience as well. And so this has really been hopefully part of that educational process. And uh, yeah, as ever, revelation speaking to you. You've been kind enough to pick up the phone to me multiple times over the last few months, <laughs> answer my dumb questions. And, yeah. you know, it's it's really fantastic, you know, that the consultation value that you bring alone is massive. So I can say from personal one-to-one experience that, that you have so much um, wisdom and common sense in this this field now. And, you know, you've certainly learnt, learnt your, your field now. And yet you have that memory of the, the Amazon seller, you know, fighting out there in the war zone. So that's a really great combo. So it's been great to be able to finally share that with uh, the public that we have access to here. And just want to say many, many thanks for coming on the show. Please do come back uh, as things develop over the next few months and and share your your know, update on the markets. But for the moment, it just remains for me to say many, many thanks for coming on the show. Jim. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks, Michael. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.